Now on to this next part of this series that Pastor Dave has led us on. Uh, what if Jesus had never been born? And last few weeks we've talked uh, science, we've talked, um, and, and really been, I was really impacted by the testimonies that we've heard in the past couple of weeks uh, when, it, when, when it comes to the protection of the newborn, um, where life is and journey is, and, and those things are crucial. Um, not for us to necessarily say, told you so, but give, give us an understanding of just exactly what the impact and the, what the design God has for us. And Pastor Dave asked if I would come and share with you today, as, and I said, so what's next on the topic? What's next for us today? And here's what's next for us today. What could possibly go wrong? Before a budget meeting. <laughs> Just so you know, he was kind enough to give me a chance to choose something of my own. And I said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not hiding from anything. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> but what could possibly go wrong? Because I, I think of, you know, I work in a secular job uh, in a, in the federal government, uh, one day somebody who I, I don't hide, as I've shared before, I don't hide who I am uh, when I'm working. And one day somebody who knew that I serve as a missionary pastor outside of work, I think I was still, yeah, I, I, I was already uh, on the field at that particular point and wasn't necessarily pastoring inside a church. And, and they said to me, oh, so Conrad, what do you think about same-sex marriage? And I thought, ooh, I'm inside a government building. Hmm. What should I say? And then the words that only God can give me because I'm not this smart. You know, you have those opportunities where, where you say something, you know, that's not my words, that's God's words. And here's what I said. I said, well, look, you know who I am. You know what I'm about. I've, you, you probably know my answer. But if you want me to say something, here's what I would say. I am convinced that no two grown men were ever designed to parent a teenage girl, period. And I mean every period. <laughs> Got to laugh at all that. I moved on. Because we live in such a world today, and it's not new. Let's, let's be honest. It's, opinions are not new. We've had opinions since the dawn of time. From the day that Eve decided to listen to the serpent and Adam pointed fingers, and you know what, I, I, I love my son, we're learning about parenting as, as adoptive parents, but sometimes I go, ah, ah, he's like an Adam right now. She told me to do it, you know, somebody, it's somebody else's fault, it's never your own fault. Uh, since the dawn of time, we've had different opinions, and and seems like, and perhaps maybe lately, but also it seems like our tolerance level towards one another is at an all-time low. We always talk about tolerance, but tolerance is the idea that two people can have two different opinions and can still sit down and have a coffee together. Or maybe if you're watching online, you're not a church person, go have a beer together. It, we just don't do that anymore. We, we want to push things aside. And, and, you know, as parents and as families and churches, you're like... How do you communicate to a next generation where they may have different ideas and, and, and 
and, and thoughts and that contradicts yours and, and how that may work out in the context and, and in a work and, and, and environment where you are no longer surrounded by Christians and, and you're out there and somebody asks you a question, what do you think of something? And you don't want to hurt anybody, but you also don't want to hide anything. And I, I'm sorry, I'll preface my time here by saying I, I, I don't have any answers. I, I really don't. If I had the answers, I'd probably be writing a book and signing them and, and making a, a lot of uh, residual income. <laughs> but I don't. But you know what? In the last 10 years of, of being outside, serving outside of the context of a, of a church building and navigating the waters of, uh, of people in the world, being in a secular work environment, so-called secular work environment, I, I've noticed two things that I want to hone in on today. One is that there is a lot of hurt. There is a lot of hurt, and rightfully or wrongfully, a lot of that gets pointed at Christians and churches. And the second thing that I've discovered, more so reminded, is that Jesus is still the answer. Look, I could go about this two different ways. I could say, here's what the Bible says. And I, I, I'm, I won't be the first person to stand in the church pulpit to tell you what the Bible says about da 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 um, But what if we turn this into a conversation? Because I'd rather have a conversation with you about Jesus' love and freedom rather than just being this next person to tell you what the Bible says, because you've probably heard it before and you hear it again. I'll, I'll touch on that a bit, just in case you really wanted to know. But I'd much rather have a conversation with it. So I may be speaking to the 30, 40% of you who may be able to do this, but if you can, and if you have a smartphone, I want you to scan this QR code or go to slido.com and enter that number as a participant. And I want you to help our conversation today. And the conversation question we'll dive into later is what word would you associate Christianity's impact on sex and the family? What word would you associate Christianity's impact on sex and the family. And while you're doing that, I wanted to share with you um, my, how my perspectives kind of got molded. It was almost 10 years ago, and I was, on a, I was serving out when, when you're single, you, you have the ability to wear lots of different hats, and I was a youth and young adults pastor before I got into planting a mission on, uh, to non-believers, and, and so I still had one foot in youth ministry, and I was serving as a youth catalyst for our region in, our fam in the family churches and denomination I serve at, and um, I was heading to a meeting of I, I love this meeting. It's not any old silly meeting. You sit there, you go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and you go back. This is a group of youth catalysts across North America in, 
in my denomination. And we just, there's like 12 of us. We, we just got together um, annually to, to pray, to, to share uh, the struggles that we see and some, some of the uh, best practices, how best to help young people learn and grow with Jesus, penetrate that barrier that people have that seemingly started to overwhelm some churches and, and some of us. Um, took the cheap route, so I've, I went through SeaTac Airport first, and uh, I was sitting at a table like that on the food court enjoying clam chowder, because that's what you do in Seattle. And this man came up to me and asked me if he could share with, shared the table with me. And I said, of course. And the missionary part of me started to want to talk to him. So I said, hi, how's it going? Where are you going? Where are you from? And all of that. Long story short, I discovered that he's a pastor from the Seattle area. And he was flying to Iowa. And for those of you who need American geography lesson, that's the, basically the middle of, uh, of north middle of nowhere. And I said, what are you, what are you doing there? What are you going to go do there? No, I live there. I'm like, wait, I thought you were from Seattle. I said, and, he, and his words were, this place is going to the pits, and I want to protect my family. And, I I, and so we moved, to Seattle, we moved from Seattle to Iowa, and I'm just coming back here to finalize the sale of our house. I said, come again? Yeah, this area here of all this, all, all this, all, all this sexual revolution that people are doing around here, here in the Northwest, this is like crazy. I want to protect my family. And so the best thing I did was to pick my family up, move them into North Central U.S. where really nobody goes, found a church, the pastor there, and now we're happy. Where are you from? I said, um, I'm, I'm from Vancouver, Canada, and we called Seattle our Bible Belt because there are churches there, more churches there than, than, than we have. He looked at me with these eyes of like, what are you still doing there? And then I get on the plane, and the meeting that year was in New Orleans. I love New Orleans. The jazz culture, the food, I love a gumbo, you know. I, I just love the culture. The dark side of the culture also is there's a lot of debauchery there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, you walk, walk down Bourbon Street and you will see a lot uh, that makes you, make, make, makes you realize how safe and nice it is here. Um, and the reason why we were in New Orleans is because we have a seminary. The Bap my Baptist tribe has a seminary there, and I love that we have seminaries in, in San Francisco and, and New Orleans, these major centers in, in in the city so that we're actually in the dark places learning and growing and seeing how God oper uh, calls us on mission to serve the people. And so I get to the seminary and, and get into my room and, and I got introduced to a guy that are the, the leader of our, of our crew for this Youth Catalyst Summit um, arranged for us. He served as, he's still serving as an associate pastor in a church in Arlington, Texas. But before he started serving as a pastor and became a Christian, he lived a homosexual lifestyle like no other. And I wanted to hear as much as I can from him. Look, there are some things that... Um, you know, he would say that I would agree on, but maybe open a can of worms for all of us because 
There'll be a lot of questions back and forth, but I want to focus on a heart issue. And he says that the heart issue is that people, are, people make choices based on how they're hurting or how they're not hurting. And as for us Christians, um, sometimes we don't focus on the fact that people are hurting and we're just trying to fix the problem, fix the, the sin. And he says that when you speak to somebody who is choosing a sexual lifestyle that is different from that of a scripture, the one thing that Christians say a lot to think that we're doing, we're doing the right thing but actually hurts and damages more, he says is when we tell somebody, we love you, but just not your sin. He's like, if you tell a convicted felon in jail that we love you, and we don't, but we can't love your sin, they will probably understand. You know, if, you, if you've stolen from somebody, if you trashed somebody's place, if, if you, they say you've murdered somebody, those words connect. But he says, well, he says when it comes to a sexual identity, the person has owned it. It's, it's their choice. It's, they feel like it's who they are. And they can't separate the fact that you can love them but not love who they believe they are. It's as if in the, in the scripture, Paul says to the church in Corinth, there's a sense, in this I'm using the, the message version here, I, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it into everyday context. I'm, I, I, sometimes I'm, I'm concerned about using the message too much from the pulpit, but for a conversation like this, uh, Eugene Peterson l puts it in a very nice uh, conversational context. And he says, uh, Paul says, as he translated, there's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all the other sins. In sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. It's different. It's, it's just a little different. It's literally inside you, for lack of a better term. It's part of who you are. And when it's different than all the other struggles that we have. And then comes the word sin. I asked them, so how do we put the word sin into the context? Because are you saying we can't use the word sin? Sin has been a word that's been used by, by Christians to point fingers at. It's, it's, it's so tightly associated with that, that when we point fingers or when we say the word sin, it feels to the other person like we're, we're pointing fingers. And so he says, well, what if we explain sin? See, sin is making choices outside of God's design. And what if we put it into the context of what that is? At the commonplace, back before, leading up to Christmas, we were talking about God's design and what God created us to be. And that when we make choices outside of that, it's sin. It's a couple of slides after that. Um, when we make choices outside of God's design, we make choices to sin. And at this point, it leads us to brokenness or loneliness. 
And, and we're trying to find ways to fill those potholes. Um, there are many ways we do that. Uh, there's money. One that I've experienced in my life is food. I, I ballooned up from a stick boy in high school to this ginormous 12th grader in the summer of, of 11th to 12th grade. Uh, I loved my parents, and they did what they thought was best for me. Um, and my mom thought what's best for me is to go into summer school to get ahead. And uh, I hated every moment of it, and my dad felt bad for me, so every day after uh, he picked me up from Glen, Glen Eagle Secondary, where the summer school was, and he had this A&W two-for-one coupon. Six weeks of that, and you know what happened. Um, <laughs> and of course, one of many ways that we've tried to fill that brokenness in the world is sex, those wiggly lines that you see there. And so what if we took a look at Paul's words in the, and explained, it in, in explained sin that way? Here's the uh, Christian Standard Bible version of it. Every other choice, the next, well, every other choice we make outside of God's design, sin, uh, is outside of the body. But a person who makes sexually immoral choices outside of God's design does so against his own body. When we present God's message to people about, who, uh, about his design and what happens to us out when we make choices outside of his design, those words help someone who doesn't see eye to eye with God see a little better about his will and his design for us. And then when it comes to sex in the family, um, it's really personal. It is really personal. On the other hand of that, it also impacts all. D. James Kennedy, in his book that Pastor Dave has been leading us through, uh, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, he noted that in, in the history of civilization, uh, whether it's from Egyptian kingdoms that we studied in school, uh, to Babylon, to the Roman Empire, there's an there's a underlying theme. Their nations grew stronger and more pros prosperous and more united when there were stronger morals. Families and communities started to grow, and they were passionate about one another, and they were passionate about helping one another. They were and those things go hand in hand. And at, to a certain point, people start to be like, okay, what's next? Okay, what else is there is up there? Um, I, are there other things, go, uh, possibilities, other choices I can make? And then as the morals start to fall and people start to make different choices that lay away from God's design, the nations and the families and the communities, they all start to fall. And that's a history of civilization. Not, we're not, I'm not predicting about what's gonna happen to North America. I'm just saying that's the history as DJ Kennedy had presented to us. And for to us today, maybe, I dare say maybe, 
the media actually helps us see the consequences of choices that we make outside of God's design more than we have ever before. Whether you think that that's leading us to following more or being reminded more. So let's take a look. Um, let, I want to take a look and see if, uh, how, how we've answered these questions. Uh, I should see if anybody's answered, first of all. Um, I'm on Wi-Fi. Here we go. Whew. That is a lot. Let's take a look here. I'm going to show the results. And I'm not quite sure if we can see it on the screen there. Is it possible to slide over? If not, I'll just read it from, from, uh, from what I've seen here. So what would you associate Christianity's impact on sex and the family? Um, we have pure, purity, uh, choice, um, layered, meaning confusingly, so says this person, uh, respect, shame, judgmental, sacrifice, divine, one, relationship, slandered, misunderstood, ineffective, broken, restricted, private, wholesome, minimal, hopeful, misunderstanding, uh, divisive, safe, faith-based, constructive, you see the spectrum, net negative. We've got both people who believe it's powerful and people, and this is anonymous, I don't know who's written this, so unless you type your name in there, I have no idea who you are. We seem to be indifferent about it. We, we don't really know. There's so many questions. And it would be hard for me to, or hard for any of us to talk about the impact when we don't look at the truth. Because sex and the family, God's design for it is beautiful. I want to focus on that for a second because Eugene Peterson, if we can get back to um, 1 Corinthians 6 there, he describes, um, he describes it that in verse 15, there's more to sex than mere sin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two became one. And since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex can, that can never become one. And the word I would highlight there over and over again, circle, highlight ever there, is not necessarily become one or anything else. The word I would highlight there is the word lonely. Lonely. Brokenness, when we are separated from God's design, always result in loneliness. The reason why we start exploring and swinging lines is because we want to fill those holes that are in our lives, that we make those choices. And the more we do that, the more lonely we get because we, we feel like we're in isolation. And that's not just with sexual 
choices that are outside of God's design. That's with any choice that we make. When we make choices that hurt us, we tend to hide and try ways of fixing it. Whether you were a kid like me who, who broke the old mercury uh, thermometer for when you're, when you're sick, to whether you have committed something and you're running and hiding from the law, we, our, our first feeling is loneliness, and our second, I, second solution to that is hiding. And yet, before that, Paul was telling the church of Corinth in verse 12 earlier in that uh, passage, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. I, there are a lot of things I want to buy. Are you anybody like me who uh, go on Amazon and you really want to see something and then you spend about 45 minutes to see if somebody's selling it cheaper? <laughs> I end up not buying it because, you know, but there's a lot of things I want to buy. Somebody told, once told me that uh, you know you're in trouble when an Amazon package comes to your door and you have no idea what's in it. That is operating by, that's being a slave to your whims. We're not talking about Amazon packages. We're talking about things that are destructive. You may not think it's destructive because it's your choice. But when something can affect us spiritually and emotionally and by the, pray, by, by the grace of God, I've never had to experience that. But I've walked with so many who have. And the lostness and the loneliness that's in that, making that momentary choices, or making a choice about a lifestyle, those are lonely, lonely journeys. And God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat you with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You won't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. You thought the Bible wasn't interesting. We, when we act on our whims, we act on base, we're acting based on our brokenness, based on our hurt. And we're exploring every single corner of that. And you know what? You may not understand it. You may not know it. The reality is what we're doing, and this is not just sexual sin. This is any other ways that we choose to walk away from God or choose to design this contrary to God. What we're trying to do is try to get as far away from it without having to get back. Find a definition for it, maybe, so that I can say, this is me, I am this way, and uh, yeah, I, this is the reason why I am here, and I may know that that way is better, but right now, I'm, I'm good here. I'm, I'm, I'm good here. And then what about the family context? Because our conversation today is about sex and the family. 
See, and as for the family, um, God's design for sex is to be empowering for a person's spouse, not themselves. The foundation of the family um, is a husband and a wife seeking the spiritual and physical well-being of one another. Scripture says um, from Paul in, first, uh, in, in chapter 7, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have the authority over her own body but yields to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields to his wife. The challenge that we have as humans today is that we're dissecting the scripture to try to find a way to justify how we feel. You take a look at what Paul said here, and here's what literally happens sometimes when I walk with people who, who struggle with what God is saying. They'll take a look at the line that says, the wife does not have an authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband, period. They'll highlight it, circle it, uh, put it on X, formerly Twitter, and say, how dare them? And then once, literally one time I said, have you seen the next, the next sentence? Oh. When we're broken, we're, we're not even capable sometimes of seeing the whole picture. We're just looking, for, looking out for ourselves. We're jumping to different, literally different beds, looking for ways to fill. And when something does not feel like it's right, for me, we fight against it. But sex was never meant to be a rights battle. God designed sex to empower the family, to empower a couple, a married man and woman, to empower them so that they're looking out for one another both spiritually and physically, they're looking out for one another. And yet, we, in our brokenness, we try to find solutions best for ourselves. The way, the way that we try to fill these potholes um, not only leads us away from God's design, but leads us to further trouble. Earlier, I said, yeah, I can, I can mention a few things about how, how that is, and you may have heard of it before, but... Just for context, I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, in, in, in the book that Pastor David Lee been leading us through, a psychiatrist, Dr. Francis Braceland, who had head the American Psychiatric Association, which is not a Christian thing. I took psychology for one semester in university and got scared and ran off. Um, he noted that there's a correlation between uh, premarital sexual relationships in college young adults and their struggles in mental health. People were literally checking themselves into mental clinics. The correlation is there. And this, is, again, is not a Christian statistic. And he also says there's a higher correlation between cohabiting and divorce than couples who did not, and a higher rate of infidelity whether they are Christians or not. The stats are there. And then it gets personal. 
Because one day my son asked us about a topic that we used to talk about here in, in church this way. He came up to us and he said something about S-E-X. Didn't want to say the word. I probably said the word more times in this last 20 minutes than you've ever heard inside a church. And then I looked at him, um, and I, I was struggling with using this as an answer to him. Uh, just to recap, we adopted Cage a year and a half, almost two years ago. He moved in with us almost two years ago in July. Um, and I looked at him, and he's, he's got these why questions, right? Why, why, why? Can somebody just tell me their kids ask them why all the time? Makes me feel better. Makes us feel better. I looked at it and I said, um, sex is a very, very important and dangerous thing at the same time. We love you, son. We really do. And you are our son. And it breaks my heart that your mommy and your birth mom and your birth dad made a choice outside of God's design. so that you would have to go through the first six years of your life not knowing what's next. The consequences of sex became real and personal when, I, when he asked me that question. We can talk about it all we want, but all of a sudden you realize just what the impact is. And then there are the hot topic questions of the day. Ah, we're going to get there. But let me start, start by saying this. It's not just today. Uh, we may have developed ways to further our brokenness. Medication, surgeries, you name it. Labeling things as as such, coming up with identities that are contrary. We may have done that. But these topics and these struggles that we deal with, that we seemingly are confronted with on a daily basis, they're not new. It's just new ways we explore. And you know what? Here's the thing. And this is my opinion. This is not Ego Ridge's opinion. This is just my opinion. So if you don't like it, delete this. Satan has laughed every day at how we treat one another. Because we've let Satan direct our conversation so that we, can, we can't even be friends with somebody who may have chosen a different label than we have. Uh, part of being in an adoptive family is we've learned a lot about trauma and the trauma that, that kids have, even in the womb. Um, and that's, again, not a Christian thing. That is a, that is a uh, provincially funded education that we went through. They talk about womb trauma. There's debates 
that they also want to have that contradicts that. But the development of us, uh, there's a lot of things going on, and we can, and, and we can point at different things all we want, and there are sometimes people who, who say that people are born such way. Yeah, they're born such way, not necessarily because of a gene, but because of trauma. Trauma that sometimes they know about and trauma that sometimes they don't know about, like womb trauma. I love what Rick Warren said, though, one day on, uh, many years ago in CNN, on a CNN interview, he was interviewed about, about this whole gene issue. And he said, well, we haven't found one, you can keep finding it, and it won't bother him with if, he, if they found a gene that leads a person a certain way. Because he says, we, make, we, 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 make all, we, we all make choices, uh, sex or otherwise, we all make choices, we all are attracted to food, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have to eat all that until we die. We're all, we may be attracted to somebody who's not your spouse, but it doesn't mean you have to act on it. When you see the beautiful design of God for us. So today's morality is really nothing new. And Christians may treat it as something new. And Christians may treat, but the Bible has ample examples of enough so where people have taken certain accounts to, to try to find hidden meanings towards them. But look, even in the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. That's not after before Jesus. Well, now it's not after Jesus. That's before Jesus. That was right from the get-go. When, they, when the Israelites got together, what were the, some of the things that God really wanted to hone in on through Moses? Because there was destruction even then. So it's not new. And by treating it as new things, uh, we keep focusing on the sins. Uh, we either fight by being destructive and putting up signs and, and going against people and making people feel horrible, or we flight like that pastor from Seattle who decided to move to Iowa. What I didn't want to tell him, I had this in the tongue of my hand because I was just studying this about, about North America. You can, you can hide all you want into rural places, but 50% of rural places in North America will become cities in 50 years. Think about that. Maybe not so much up past Edmonton in the territories where it's cold, but wherever you are in most places in North America, you can keep going places and hiding and hiding, but people are moving closer and closer to you. So we can't fight or flight. And this is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. So I could keep presenting to you all the Bible truths about why not, and you may have heard many of that before, but what do we focus on the answer? Jesus and the gospel. See, because of his love, uh, God's design for us, that he didn't leave us in his brokenness, and he sent his son to not only die and resurrect, but gave us the freedom of the condemnation of what we feel like we're ashamed of. Because Jesus came to rescue us from all that. And, the, and when the early Christians who 
were the closest to seeing Jesus, they started in, in the pagan world, they started to elevate sexual morality. And as they elevated, it was viewed as beautiful in amongst the dark world. It was envied. People have wanted to be a part of it, and they didn't know how to because they were stuck where they were. And I have a hunch that if we examine our own hearts, we too want to rid ourselves from whatever immorality that's lingering in our minds. One example that D. James Kennedy said was that Jesus came and not only challenged us about the physical act of choice itself, but in our minds. He says in Matthew that when we sin in our minds, it's sin itself. It's a tall order, but he wasn't necessarily going and say, oh my goodness, you shouldn't think at all because he's elevating our mind to say, okay, when that comes, we can make choices that honor God. Even in our minds, we can make choices that honor God. And yet simply hearing the gospel isn't enough. We have to admit to our brokenness and stop trusting ourselves to try to fix it. That's the power of repenting and believing God because we must ask God to forgive us of turning our backs away from him. I'm running over time, so I'm gonna keep zooming here real quick. It's a hot topic. But the price of the gospel that Jesus paid to give us the hope for freedom freedom from sexual immorality. He says here in the whole verse um, to, to recover and pursue and follow God. Um, every other flee from sexual immorality. In verse 18 to 20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but a person who sexually is immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple to the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Flee, he says. And when we do that, when we recover and pursue, we get to a point where we can actually experience that freedom again. I'll jump a few slides here if I can, because I wanted to kind of finish off with this. In the last time I shared here, I I shared with a a story about Jesus' encounter with the adulterous woman. I'm leaving this on there so you can go take a look real quick. Those four minutes uh, gave a 2023 presentation of what that encounter may look like. And it's powerful because God came not to condemn but to save in John 3.17. But if there's one big change between the pre-Jesus and the post-Jesus, it's the freedom of that condemnation. It's the freedom of not having to live with it. Because in my walk over the last 10 years on the field, uh, behind all the fighting words and the flights people have, I quietly hear a comment that reveals the real heart condition of many people. I'm too far gone to be helped. Before... Jesus met this adulterous woman in John 8. 
he made the choice of leaving Judea and, find, and, on his way to, and found his way to Galilee in John chapter 4. And the scripture says he had to go through Syria. I, I'm not sure if that rings a bell for many people, but that's not common. Yes, geographically, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, you go through there. But as a Jew, you, you avoided some, Samaria or Samaria. You swim one way, you walk the other way, you avoid it at all costs because you didn't want to be a so. So he had to. So says scripture. There's a power in that. And he stopped in Samaria at Jacob's well for water. And just so happens a woman came up to him, a Samaritan woman. Uh, of course, he knew she would. And the woman was shocked. Was shocked that this Jewish man, this this person that was coming from Judea would come and even talk to her. Why would you talk to me, she said. And after that encounter, she was so happy and so joyful because Jesus told her every, the, dirty, the, the, the dirtiest things in her life. And she turned around, jumping for joy, celebrating the fact that she met the Messiah and told every... Can you imagine somebody telling you, confronting you with the, the, the struggles in your life? You want to hide in a hole, jump back into the well or something. I don't know. And she turned around and she went and shouted for joy. Nobody is too far gone for Jesus. And we as Christians need to repent if we've ever spoken in a way that made it sound like that. And if you're watching online because you don't know what a church is like, I want to apologize on behalf of all Christians who have chosen to make it sound like you can't belong here because of choices that you've made. That's not the intention whatsoever. Give us some mercy. Give us an opportunity to adjust. Sometimes we're not equipped as well to hear your story. And it's not because we don't want to love you and because we think you, it's, it, what you've done is shameful. It's just that we're learning how to best love you too. Let's pray. God, thank you for a church family that would let me go way, way over time. But God, help us understand your love for all of us. This is a, this is a, a, a challenge for all of us that can impact generations. Help us make a U-turn in our way of not only making choices, but walking and supporting those who long to find your design again and just don't know how. And thank you that we are not too far gone, ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you so much, Conrad.
It was good. I had a medical procedure this week, or test. Results were good, but the best result was uh, what we got to hear today. I wrote a four-letter word in big letters on my notes. Beside the words hurt or hide, I wrote hope. Our mission as a church, we said, is showing love, sharing hope, strengthening faith. Jesus was the master at not hurting, not having people hide or hide himself, but of bringing hope. Thank you for that. And if you didn't hear hope this morning, I don't think you were listening. And if you would like prayer, we've got some people from our prayer team that are going to be up here up front. And we're going to take some time for that. And then after that, we're going to have a meeting together. We're going to have lunch together. And this isn't just if you are a member of the church. If you, uh, if you want to know what is it that we are about as a congregation, what are some priorities that we have for the coming year, then you are welcome to stay and, and to join us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.